supporting this. I hate you. You, you know I always do this. <laughs> Family Antimatters is recorded in front of a live studio audience. <laughs> okay. Hi, this is Reed. I'm married to Abby, and I know about physics. Hi, this is Abby. I'm married to Reed, and I don't. Welcome to Family Antimatters, the science podcast from both ends of the spectrum. This is Abby. And this is Reed. And this is actually a very special episode of Family Antimatters. We are at the Fest in Gainesville, Florida, and this is going to be a uh, segment that I call Science Buddies, because we have our friend Brian here. Hey, everyone. Yay, Science Buddies. Yeah, I wanted to get Brian on because he works uh, in nuclear power and can potentially share some really cool stuff. Um, Brian, you want to tell us what you do? Uh, sure. Uh, my name is Brian. Uh, as previously stated, I work <laughs> at a nuclear reactor in South Carolina, and I am just finishing up a long two-year training program to become a certified reactor operator. Bum, bum, bum. That's awesome. <laughs> I think that's really cool. Um, so, Brian, uh, it is it is early on a Saturday. I mean, not so early, but kind of early for us considering we all stayed out really late so hopefully this makes sense <laughs> um so tell us a little about a little bit about how you got into this so i went to school for nuclear engineering at georgia tech and uh, always interested in energy grew up in uh aiken south carolina which has a ton of nuclear engineers that work at uh the savannah river site which used to produce uh, weapons material for nuclear bombs back in the Cold War. Okay. Uh, so lots of engineers. They'd always come to school and, you know, talk about how great engineering was. I was good at science and math, so it seemed like the thing to do. Okay. But you said you hated math yesterday. It's a love-hate relationship. <laughs> Let's be honest. It always is. <laughs> I honestly hate math. I love-hate math. I mean, it's, <laughs> it's a day-to-day. <laughs> That's really cool. Um, so... Two years of training, how does that make you feel? Uh, relieved that it's over, but, I mean, it's it's great. You learn a lot really quickly. Uh, definitely kind of a fire hose. Like, the, the amount of material you're expected to know and that you can be tested on is vast. It's a library that could fill a room. Yeah, it seems like a position where there's a lot to know and fairly critical that you... You know, or at least familiar with it. Yeah. Like, you don't want just Joe Schmo off the street driving a nuclear reactor. Yeah, well, at least Joe Schmo, you know, w- with two years of training, at least, would be... How, yeah. how, <laughs> how accurate is uh, the Homer Simpson take on it? Um, well, <laughs> I, I gotta admit, my, uh, my picture of the Simpsons is pretty incomplete. I haven't seen the older episodes since uh, they aired. Uh, he's a safety inspector, correct? Isn't that his position officially? I think he just sits yeah. in a 
thing and presses a button. He's I mean, got I, an I impressive control console. Yeah, he's got like a oh, really big control console. For sure. Yeah. And uh, then he like that he doesn't really know what's going on no. with ever. <laughs> do you do you think you'll consume as many donuts as him? Uh I'll try. <laughs> It's a lofty goal. Okay, so uh, so you've done this two-year training. Um, did you have to take a lot of tests? Yeah. Yeah, we had tests constantly, like, uh, to kind of gauge where you were in the program. Each milestone had mm. uh, a different test associated mm -hmm. with it, and that was split between, like, actually, like, a written test, like an A, B, C, D, circle the right answer kind of deal, and uh, also an operating test where we, we actually have a replica simulator that is identical to the control room and uh, is okay. run by a, a, a computer and simulates everything that we would see in the control room. And they can break stuff. They can run us through all the procedures. Uh, it's pretty intense. That's really cool. Um, can you name a terrifying scenario? <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> can, can we not? <laughs> Why, Why not? I don't know anything about this. I'd like to know like what... Like, okay, I can I can rewind the question is like, so what does uh, like the day to day look like <laughs> for you? <laughs> that is an extremely different question. Yeah. Um, can, we can answer the terrifying scenario question later. Uh, day to day. Well, in training, uh, we had lectures um, and we also so we kind of split our time between lectures, uh, simulator training where we actually kind of walk through with an instructor uh, on how to operate the plant. Uh, scenarios uh kind of open-ended scenarios uh and uh for different failures that could happen and how we use the procedures to implement them uh, like troubleshooting kind of stuff yeah okay. um and a lot of it's kind of like uh figuring diagnosing what's going on figuring out what's going on yep. and then getting the right resources to fix it because most of the stuff you're not going to be able to fix on your own yeah, that actually sounds really similar to like the day to day in you know like an accelerator control room. Yeah, You're except you guys probably have way newer. <laughs> I, <laughs> I mean, the light source does um, the collider that's been going since like the seventies in various and sundry forms. Yeah, still a lot of old tech there, so I'm sure there's some parallels. Yeah. Uh, our our control room is is definitely like a vintage electrician's playground we have a lot of new digital uh instrumentation okay but all of the like protection stuff that like basically uh is directly in control of like tripping what we call uh tripping the reactor or turning it off um, yeah safety systems safety systems that's all uh old-fashioned electromechanical extremely reliable uh but uh it also very difficult to implement changes to yeah. <laughs> so is it all that sort of like avocado green and like orange colored 1970s, 1960s type technology? So the avocado, I, I believe the original color of the control board was avocado green. It's a, uh, it's a very groovy color. After um, some uh, industry events, uh, we really took a look at uh, human factors and, and uh, what basic, like what kind of everything down to like colors of the control board to like, make sure the operators can stay focused and what's the most pleasing color. Like, they put a lot of thought into it. So now our control board is, uh, like, a, like, a beige. Oh. <laughs> I was going to say, is it millennial pink? What's millennial pink? Okay, you guys are so both. I, I, don't know the, I don't know the technical <laughs> difference between avocado green and, like, 
you know, Apple II <laughs> beige, but uh, someone did. Yep. <laughs> millennial pink is like this really soft pink, and millennials really like it. This is this is fact. This it's is a fact. <laughs> no, I'm not even kidding. You should look this up. It'll be in the link in the description box. I'll link to Millennial Pink. We have some we <laughs> have some millennials in the room that are giving us the thumbs up. <laughs> Karen knows what Millennial Pink's all about. <laughs> so I don't know what else to talk about. Do you have any other questions? Yeah, yeah absolutely. No, like the elephant in the room in my mind is like the word nuclear or nuclear. Mm-hmm. And just Both like, are accepted, I believe. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> only one is correct. <laughs> <laughs> and just you know the the conception and reception of you know the idea of nuclear things in the U.S. You know, people are scared of you know Three Mile Island, Chernobyl, mm-hmm. just the absolute worst case scenarios. Yeah. Even though you know fossil fuels and the more common things are equally, if not more, dangerous. Just you know, yeah. in, in the scales they're implemented I mean, in here. We could talk for days on risk perception. That's a that's a really fertile topic. Uh, yeah, <laughs> no, d- talk to me. Like, how do you guys kind of see that and deal with that, like, actually working in nuclear? Um, well, we don't really interface. I mean, personally, me, in operations, uh, I don't really interface with uh, the public in my job capacity. Now, I do a lot of, um, like, community outreach, uh, yeah. per- like, on my own, uh through the company, but also through like professional societies. Uh, That's really cool. Uh, it's a lot of fun. Like we uh, we we just had uh, some Girl Scouts visit the plant, and and they actually had a lock in in the visitor center. Um, what on purpose? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's our it's our second year doing it. It's uh, we gave them a tour. We we took them down to uh, the simulator, and uh, we uh, we kind of let them. We actually let them do a uh, a startup. We let them pull out the control rods and oh, bring, cool. bring the reactor uh, critical. That is so cool. I like my Girl Scout thing was like go to the woods and make a marshmallow. Wait, yeah, that's an eight year old doing that. Like that's so dope. That I was the, could... my favorite part of Boy Scouts. I mean, I really like that, but I would want to go to a nuclear reactor and like make it go critical or whatever. Yeah, but just like out and about or at parties or like at fest or something, if someone asks you what you do. Like how do you how do you, I what kind of reactions do you normally get? Like is it I, good, I typically, bad, scared? I don't know. I, I, I some for some <laughs> reason some weird part of my brain thinks like talking like saying like oh yeah I'm a nuclear reactor operator that's like braggadocious. So I tend to just say like yeah I work at a power plant. I I, I like having the conversation, um, but sometimes I don't. <laughs> yeah, no, I feel you 100%. Um, yeah, well, my favorite party trick, I don't, I don't know if I've talked about this on the podcast before, <laughs> is telling everyone what Reed does, and then I walk away and get a beer. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it is, it is amazing, though, how many people, uh, like, after I say, oh, yeah, I'm a nuclear reactor operator, and they say, like Homer Simpson, 95% of all interactions. <laughs> yeah. dep- no, and that's, and that's, like, if they're, you know, like punks or like you know normies <laughs> normies uh, <laughs> you know whoever yeah. all the whole spectrum of people yeah. uh it's it's yeah. the go-to is homer yeah it's such a cultural touchstone yeah it's in the zeitgeist or whatever <laughs> in, indeed um uh so what is sort of like the career pathing for this because you did two years of training you're going to be um 
an operations tech guy. And like, so what is like, is like management there? Like, what do you do from there? Yeah. Uh, the next, I guess, path for me would be to go back through the same program again, essentially, except this time for what's called a senior reactor operator license. Mm. So I would be authorized to direct reactor operators to uh, uh, operate the reactor. So kind of like a shift lead? Yeah. Almost. Cool. Yeah, I know at the uh, at the various accelerators that you know are at Brookhaven, we often have people come in from like either industry or you know nuclear reactors or you know nuke subs like from the military mm-hmm. and stuff that are you know associated with the DOE and yeah. that do like operations or inspection or you know whatever kind of stuff for us. Like it seems like there's definitely mobility there. Like between, you know, high energy science and nuclear, you know, power industry. Absolutely. Do we do we have anything else we want to talk about with Brian here? Um, yesterday you were telling me that there's actually uh, quite a few nuclear reactors in the U.S., which surprises me. Uh, yeah, I think now this number may not be uh completely up to date as of whatever today is. Um, Don't worry, we're not going to fact check you. (laughs) (laughs) We can actually look it up. I think there's around 99 (laughs) operating reactors right now in the country. That's actually way more than I thought there would be. Which is down uh, from what it was. I mean, uh, like there's been five or six reactor closures just in the past uh, three, four years. Um, It's a trend right now in the country uh, for older reactors to be shutting down. And not even necessarily reactors that have uh, finished out their uh, operating license. Like how basically how long they were designed to and allowed to operate. Uh, some are closing down for economic reasons, uh, especially in the Northeast, uh, in unregulated like energy markets. It's really tough right now to compete with natural gas. Oh. Hmm. Things I learned. <laughs> yeah, I, wouldn't have ex- I would not have expected that. <laughs> and there's also like uh, solar and wind subsidies. Uh, nuclear... Uh, there are now some states that are subsidizing nuclear for its because it's a it's a carbon free power source. So uh, if you, uh, which you all should believe that global warming is real, yeah. and I know that you guys do, totally. But there are it people, probably not listeners of this podcast. <laughs> yeah, so. yeah uh, listeners of this podcast. I hope <laughs> all believe that climate change is real. I mean, <laughs> believe me, there are enough scientists showing that it is that. If there were evidence to the contrary, other scientists who, you know, want their name in papers and want recognition would have definitely brought that to the forefront. So that the process is basically yeah. finished at this point. Okay, sorry. Go ahead, Brian. Sorry. Um, there are some states like uh, Illinois for sure is doing it. Uh, I think New York also mm-hmm. has passed state uh, credits, energy credits, to... Uh, Recognized nuclear for its carbon-free uh, and baseload energy production, um, which is good because uh, these these plants employ a lot of people. They're really good, high-paying jobs, and they're typically the only thing in in the community. Like they're the biggest employer in their respective communities. So when a nuclear plant closes, which you, you saw a lot in the Northeast. Uh, like Maine Yankee, Vermont Yankee, it devastates the local community economically. Yeah. <laughs> you just had this like wistful, sad look on your face. Yeah, I was kind of thinking 
you know, about a lot of the, the stories about, like, the coal communities. Yeah. And, the you know, the politics that's going on around that right now. Right. And for all intents and purposes, nuclear is way, way cleaner than certainly coal. Yes. And most fossil fuels. Yeah. Bummer. Yeah. I mean, in terms of emissions, uh, there are none. We, uh, we occasionally release uh, small amounts of tritium, which is water. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's all highly regulated, and it's even still less than uh, what we release um, to the... Well, we, we release to a lake, but uh, it's, it's less radiation than a coal plant would release um, <laughs> in its normal operation. Yeah, go tell that. <laughs> like, it's like, I think, I think I've heard that it's like three times less, typically, for a, if a, a similar megawatt uh, output nuclear reactor produces like three times less... We release three times less radiation to the public uh, than a coal plant. <laughs> yeah, and, the th- and that's radiation. for like the heavy, the heavy uh, elements like uranium in the coal, uh, thorium, ra- uranium, stuff that occurs naturally in the ground. Things I learned again. Uh, yeah, you don't really associate radiation with you know fossil fuels, but yeah. there you go. Radiation's all around us. Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah, we had um, we had a podcast about that. If uh-huh. you if you guys uh, <laughs> took an airplane to get here, um for every I think 6000 feet you go up, uh your background radiation dose doubles. Yeah, less atmosphere, less filtering. That's right. You sure. get more of those juicy cosmic rays. Mm. <laughs> Uh, has anyone ever brought a concern to you that you might grow a third arm or anything like that? Um, no. That's good. I mean, <laughs> that would be like a pretty, pretty cool thing though, right? Well, it depends on where the arm is, right? I mean, what would you, I, what would you do with a third arm? What, does it really depend on where it is? <laughs> <laughs> if you had it growing out of your head, you could reach like what higher if, things. That would be really cool for what me What if actually? it were growing out of the middle of your back? Oh, that'd be awesome. You, you could scratch your, your back. Butt. <laughs> <laughs> I I could think of many uses. Yeah. Third arm would be tight. <laughs> Unfortunately, uh or fortunately, however you look at it. You could uh, like have all your arms in a selfie. How am I outnumbered on the third arm argument? <laughs> <laughs> all right. Um oh, cool. this is the third time I've asked this, but do we have any other questions for Brian? Uh, we're speaking about disaster scenarios. So, Brian, tell us about Three Mile Island. Three Mile Island, the worst nuclear disaster in the United States. So what the hell happened? <laughs> Long story. Jeez, um, where do you even begin with this? Uh, the operators didn't recognize the condition they were in, essentially. Um, they had training that taught them one thing in terms of uh, not breaking the like reactor piping in like an overpressurization scenario. So uh, they turned off pumps that would have prevented them from melting the core. So they ended up overheating their fuel and uh, distorting their core geometry. <laughs> so is this like a single point failure kind of thing or uh i mean it's it's definitely a confluence of uh like design problems uh training problems procedural problems uh lack of knowledge on operators parts but also uh like uh status control problems like with uh components in the field that should have been positioned one way 
uh, were not in the way they expected them to be for their safety systems to auto start. Um, there was uh, just the way the control board was designed uh, didn't lead to good, uh, like, I guess, operator awareness. Awareness. Uh, like, they had, um, when they do maintenance on uh, pumps and valves and stuff, they uh, use a program they call uh, Lockout Tagout to make equipment Lockout. safe. So um, they would hang these tags uh, on the control board, and the tags could potentially obscure, uh, just dangly large tags would obscure indicators for valves um, or pumps. So in this case, I think that uh, the operators didn't recognize that a, uh, a crucial valve was stuck open uh, for a f- at least a, a few hours into the accident. And that was where they were losing all of their inventory, uh, all of the water in, in the uh, reactor coolant system was going out this valve. Eventually they found it and they closed it, but um, that was kind of the uh, uh, the thing that made it a lot worse. So some guy left a valve open? The valve, I think it opened on its own uh, due to the... <laughs> like in response to the pressure situation? Or yeah, I don't... I'm, I'm not an expert on exactly no. what happened, and I have to... We get retrained on this, like almost annually in terms of uh, what happened and how not to do it again. But it's it was definitely, like, we've learned as an industry so much from this. We've learned, there's a lot of things that, that seem small that had no, uh, Three Mile Island, I mean, no one was, uh, there was radiation release to the public, but uh, I think in total the uh, dose release, or the, the max dose that a person would have received was is similar to, like, a chest X-ray like a medical procedure. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, a lot more uh, damage was probably done from how the public was informed. Uh, it was kind of just like a PR disaster. Yeah. Well, I mean, like, it was a it was a PR disaster. It was an actual disaster in terms yeah. of, like, evacuations. If you, if you are telling people to leave their homes, mm-hmm. you have to expect a certain amount of deaths from it. Yeah, that leads to hysteria. In terms of, uh, like, emergency planners realize this. This is why whenever a hurricane comes, Mm -hmm. uh, they want to be absolutely sure uh, that it's worse if people stay. Yeah. Uh, Because if they are having to evacuate hospitals, if they're having to evacuate uh, retirement homes, people are going to die. Yeah. Like, that's that will happen. So uh, we have a whole lot more... uh, systems in place now to ensure that we can make recommendations in a timely manner to the local authorities uh, for evacuations if if the worst case scenario were to happen. And in Three Mile Island, um, yeah, they uh, they definitely screwed that up. The state, like, the, the state was saying one thing, the federal government was saying another thing. There mm. was confusion, hysteria. Uh, now we have warning systems in place. We have standardized forms to let uh, the local, state, and federal governments know exactly what's going on uh, and what they should do about it. And we get lots of help. And uh, it's the plans are in place, and it's something that we drill and practice on uh, constantly, multiple times a year. Yeah, that's not surprising. <laughs> uh, it's cool having you know some sort of continuity in the industry, just in that you can like learn from these things. and yeah. Take we share lessons. everything. Yeah, the nuclear industry. Uh, we uh, it, an accident 
anywhere is next and everywhere is a, a thing we say. So uh, we don't have secrets. We, we, we share all of our operating experience, all of our knowledge between companies. Uh, we have groups that share everything. Like we, we, we try not to have uh, proprietary secrets because if one person can be safer about doing a thing, then we can all benefit from that knowledge. That's yeah. That's really cool. That seems counterintuitive to... Like Capitalism. The, <laughs> yeah, the, the industry idea, but thank goodness. <laughs> it's pretty socialist, the, the nuke uh, community there. What, to not want people to die? Yeah. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Wait, that's a whole other conversation, though, <laughs> about the state of America. Oh, boy. All right, that was cool. Thanks, Brian. Who are you going to go see today at Fest? Uh, jeez, who's even playing today? I think Bong Mountain's first. <laughs> Everyone check out Bong Mountain. <laughs> I'm sh- I think they have a band camp. <laughs> but no, they're really good. Um, uh, I think there's Hot Water Music secret set. There's um, pic- Against Me is playing today. Yes, Against Me is playing today. I'll probably, I saw them yesterday at their secret show. I'll probably go see them again. I will also probably see them again. They're one of the big reasons that I'm even into this scene. Yes. Um, uh, if you, if, I mean, no one's going to be listening to this during the fest, but <laughs> if, they're, if they're at fest next year, you should go see Chato Ghetto, even though I'm not going to go see them because they're playing the same time as against me. Wait, this year? Yes. I didn't know they were here. They are. And that's the end of the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks so much for Brian for being here and being so nice and informative and funny. And willing to come sit with us on a Saturday morning. <laughs> and thank you to our live studio audience for not um, judging us very much and also laughing at our jokes. Well, like two or three of them. Hooray. <laughs> Thanks for having me, guys. Have a good one. No problem, Brian. Thanks for being here. All right. Thanks. Talk Bye. to you later. Bye. Hey, do you like us? Subscribe to us on iTunes. You can also follow us on Twitter at AntimattersCast. If you have a good topic for an episode, email us at familyantimatters at gmail.com. That's all one word, no hyphen. Familyantimatters at gmail.com. Cool. Thanks.